Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Psychology. Okay, so let's talk about stress and health. This is a this is one of the first areas I think where an evolutionary approach to psychology in general uh, has took hold, and I think it's one of the ones that a lot of people, even if they aren't sympathetic to an evolutionary approach to psychology, I think a lot of people are sympathetic to this uh, in the general public. So our behavior, so we're psychologists, our behavior effects has many serious health effects. Uh, drugs you take, be, be, be they smoke some cigarettes or whatever, uh, and other drugs, seriously, right? Your diet, okay? So not individual meals, but your diet. It's like the weather versus climate. When people say, is that food unhealthy? Your reaction should be, there's no such thing as unhealthy food. You can have an unhealthy diet. So if you want to eat deep-fried batter. Don't do it every day. That's a bad diet. It's not unhealthy food. Try that, folks. I can't believe you're not eating kale. Kale is the is a super... There's no superfoods, by the way. If I told you my recipe for kale, you cook it with a whole bunch of clams and a whole bunch of chorizo and some bacon. In other words, fat and seafood. Makes everything taste better. All right. And your reaction to stress is a big one. So how you react in a situation where you're threatened. So a health psychologist, you hear our health psychologist, um, they look at things like how our perceptions affect our reaction to stress. They look at things like emotions, personalities, and diseases. And when and where and why do we see treatment? Some people do, some people don't. Right? These are interesting questions that health psychologists have. The last one we're not going to talk too much about at all, um, but it always reminds me of people who like don't know they're pregnant and then have a baby. You always hear about that? Like, how can you not... Oh, I haven't had a period for nine months, and I'm getting really fat in one place. I wonder what that did. Because you hear about that. It happens. Hey, it happened in Mad Men to Peggy Olsen. So if it happened in Mad Men, it's real. I've devoted my life to memorizing that television. On watch through number six. Usually gets a little hazy near the end of the night when I've had a couple more glasses of rye. But anyway, the first two are interesting questions evolutionarily, though. Okay? So, the first thing, let's talk about stress and the stress system, the, the sort of thing that the sympathetic nervous system that kicks in, right? Your blood, uh, your, your, your pupils dilate, heart beats faster. Uh, blood is directed away from organs and towards muscles so you can run away or fight. So this all made great sense 100,000 years ago. Frankly, it made great sense 10,000 years ago. Because things that you recognize the stressors were almost always things that could kill you. So running away or fighting, fight or flight response, those are the two reactions. They make sense, those two reactions. Evolutionary sense. Because if you just stand there and go, oh man, saber-toothed tiger, you don't pass your genes on. However, if your heart starts beating fast and you run away, maybe you climb a tree, I don't know, can saber tigers climb trees? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Maybe throw a rock at it. Maybe don't want to make it angry. Maybe say, hey, look over there, a stupid person. They probably don't speak English, they'll probably need to educate people. 
Point is, you stay away from the saber-toothed tiger. So it made sense 100,000 years ago. Or, again, 10,000 years ago, really. 12,000 years ago. Let's go 12,000, because by then there are no cities in the land. Okay. The problem is that the stressors we now react to tend to be things like playing Halo 2. And I mentioned Halo 2, but it's an old example. Well, yeah, that's because I used to play a lot of Halo 2 online, and I'm not very good. And I used to get angry because I'm an idiot. And then I realized, why am I getting angry? This is supposed to be fun. Games are supposed to be fun. And I would constantly be telling my son that he'd turn off his Xbox in anger. And I'd say, what? don't get angry. It's supposed to be fun. And then he sees me with my headset on. I'm like, son of a That's no good. So my reaction, I play online. I play Battlefield 1 all the time. And I laugh when I screw up. I've learned my lesson. Because having my stress system kick in when I'm playing a video game is not a good idea. My life is not in danger. Even if I may be trying to stop the Germans from taking that position, it is Battlefield 1 after all, World War 1, I do remember a time playing Rainbow, uh, Rainbow Six, which is a really intense game. Which one? Oh, God, uh, Vegas. And it's an intense game typically played by adults. Not a lot of children play. So you don't get a lot of, hey, there's not a lot of children talking to you in your ear. And you're fighting, you're hiding down terrorists, right? So, you know, you're keeping the world safe for democracy. And I remember playing a game, and we, we played pretty seriously, and like you're, you're actually talking like you're playing soldier, which is fun. Because you're pretending. And pretending's fun. So like you're saying things like, you know, one x-ray down. Room's clear. All this crap. And then I remember it was like 11 o'clock at night, and my stock playing, I said, okay, I, for three guys I was playing this, I, I gotta quit now. Um, so I took my headset off, and I turned the game off, and I was sweaty, and my heart was beating, and my mouth was dry. It's like, i got to go extend some energy. So I went for a bike ride. It was a clock night. Taking it too seriously, I was taking it like I really was hunting terrorists. I'm sure it's a lot harder to actually hunt terrorists than it is to play video games. Just guessing. Point is... We have this evolutionarily sensible system that kicks in when we, I don't know, when someone's standing in front of you and when the lines will be slowly at the grocery store. Right? So if you don't want to use a video game. Or when there's someone in front of you at the bank machine. Not so bad anymore, but it used to be when bank machines first came out. Remember that? And you had the old lady in front of you? Then how to use the machine? She's looking at you going, you know what my number is? Like, no! Why would I know your number? You shouldn't be allowed money. You think, you don't say that out loud, that's me. It's all waiting, nice. So this actually happens, right? And it happens at school, you guys know this, right? You get really worked up over tests and exams, and it's like, you know, those aren't life and death. They maybe affect your life in some small way, but they aren't life and death things. They aren't threatening to you. There is no reason to get ready to kick the professor's ass. Okay? Now, the thing is, stress itself actually has a lot of good points even to this day. First of all, it'll, it could save your life. Right? It really could. If you're in a, a scary situation, you can get at it. You can run away. My, 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 my approach to almost all these kind of things is to run away. I'm not going to fight. I'm going to fight since I was 19. Good fight, though. Two guys, too. They were wasted, not bigger than that. And I was wearing really big motorcycle boots. It was a different time. So it may save your life. Right? So 
if you've got a fight or you're in an accident. You can be ready to pass a little bit of arousal is good. Right? You know that. You know about the Erkis-Dotson law, the idea that uh, a medium level of arousal is actually good for performance. Right? So the performance here on the y-axis, we've got arousal here. Something in the middle is good. You want to be up a little bit. You don't want to be, though, all the way at the fight or flight end because you're so nervous you freak out. And you don't want to be here because you're asleep. <laughs> Sleeping through a test while you're actually at the test is very strange. Never seen that happen. I have seen people have panic attacks at tests. That's really something to see. It's like, what do you do? So it can save your life. So how do we define what stress is? Now this is where it makes, we think of this evolutionarily, it's the process by which we appraise and cope with the environment, environmental threats and challenges, okay? That's, that's obviously lifted from a textbook. And it's a decent definition. So this is when you're... Now think about this again from an evolutionary perspective. Cognitively, what are you doing? You're looking at something... Again, it's 100,000 years ago. You're in the savannah of Africa. You look at something and you make a decision very quickly. Is my life in danger? And if you do, this stress reaction kicks in and allows you to either kill whatever it is that's threatening or allows you to run away. He bravely ran away. So would anybody get the reference to the Holy Grail? No? Sad. Brave, brave survivor. Remember during the first Persian Gulf War, one night in one, they interviewed these RAF pilots and they were asking what it was like but just in case you fly in, there you go, to avoid anything. Oh, you drop your bombs and you bravely run away. <laughs> That's pretty excellent. It was also not the first time I saw someone in the military reference Monty Python when the uh, ship was sinking during the Falklands War. The, all these guys in the Royal Navy, their ship's on fire and it's sinking, and they're standing on the deck of the HMS Sheffield City. Always look on the bright side of life. Right. Right. Guys, don't know Monty Python enough. It's sad. And you should all learn it. Uh, There will be Monty Python questions on the next test. Okay. (laughs) So how does stress work? Um, Cannon is the first person to talk about this a long time ago. Fight or flight response. It's epinephrine and norepinephrine. So Cannon's a guy. It's not when someone's shooting a cannon at you, though that would also kick the fight or flight response in. Your heart rate goes up. Uh, your rate of breathing whoops, increases. You know all that stuff. This was discovered uh, by Celia, I think I'm exposed his name there, um, at McGill. He was injecting rats with hormones, because why not? It's the 1940s. We're injecting rats with hormones. It's something to do. It's got a grant. Going to inject rats with hormones. Here's $20,000. Buy some rats and some hormones. And he found with every rat, their adrenal gland, doesn't matter what hormone he was giving them, he would get get all enlarged. And their thymus gland would shrink. And they'd get ulcers in their stomachs. So it's like every single hormone did exactly the same thing. Well, that's weird. So we tried other liquids like saline solution. Kool-Aid. And I made that one. But he was injecting things like saline, like which is just neutral. And it's like, okay, maybe it's injections. Oh, but, you know. So then he scared the rats. You might ask, how do you scare a rat? One of the things he did is he just hold the rat out like this. That's scary. Because think about something about 10,000 times your size holding you up like that. Gotta be scary. What about shocking the rat? 
which sounds like a euphemism for something. Nothing? Nobody? Shocking the rat, if you know what I mean. Oh, that means you're shocking the rat. That's what it means. Um, that did the same thing. So he, he finds all these bad physical reactions to psychological states. Right? So again, he's kicking the rat's stress response in. So this isn't just humans. This is all of us. And he called it the generalized adaptation system. Now, he's not using adaptation in the, in the Darwinian sense. He's talking about it sort of adapting to the environment moment to moment. The first thing that happens is you're, you have an alarm reaction. So this is when you've detected your cognitive system, your senses have detected something that's scary. Your heart rate goes up and blood rushes to skeletal muscles. If you've ever done anything like... Well, if you've ever, actually ever been in an accident, this has happened to you, you know that. But also, if you've ever done things like play sports, a lot of times this happens. When you get tapped by the coach to go on the ice, right? I remember wrestling in high school, and I'd never really done it before, because it was just something to do. And, I, and the first time, it wasn't a practice, it was actually a meet. And I was just about, when the referee's whistle blew, suddenly my heart was going, boom, 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 boom. And my mouth was all dry. Horrible. Now, the resistance phase is when you want to keep at that level. Try to save your life. Again, think about this 100,000 years ago. You're saving your life. Basically, you get these stress hormones released until you don't have any more to release. And then finally, you get what's called exhaustion. This isn't just being tired, okay? You're actually completely depleted at this point and exceedingly vulnerable. Most of us have never been there. This is the kind of thing that happens to people in combat. This doesn't happen when the woman in Rome's in front of you is being too chatty to the cashier and it's taking forever to get your groceries. And all you want to do is get going, get to the liquor store. I'm describing what's called Dave on Saturday. I actually, I don't get worried about the, uh, that anymore. It's like I can't control the line. Again, I've changed a lot over the years. Because I used to just be seething. Wouldn't shut up. No one cares about your wife. <laughs> Stop talking to her and let her her do her job. Now, I did once see a cashier pull out her cell phone and make a phone call while she was doing my thing. I said, Did you just stop that, please? That to me was a bit much. But I don't get upset when people are getting So, this is a real, you're very vulnerable at this point because you can't react anymore. That's the kind of exhaustion I'm talking about. And I, probably none of us have been there before. I've experienced this. this is bad. <laughs> the interesting thing is um, cortisol is released to um, fix stuff, fix the damage basically that's happening. Cortisol uh, is one of the other things it does is it destroys the mechanical cells. I don't know why that is, but it is. So you could end up with memory loss. Now, by the way, this isn't something you say, well, you can't give us two tests in one week. It's going to destroy my hippocampus. No one's going to listen to that argument. Because you're not having an actual... You're not getting to exhaustion in your rating tests. This is things like post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a different matter. That's what I'm talking about here, okay? I'm talking about people that have been through horrible things. Writing three tests in one week is not life-threatening. And if you're seeing it as life-threatening, you've got a whole series of problems about how you approach the world. Stop viewing it that way. 
On the other hand, if that person would just hurry up and get their groceries through. First world problems. Yeah. Okay. So, now this is the thing. Catastrophes still fit in with things that are literally life-threatening. We'll talk about, you know, war, natural disaster, accidents. Nobody likes the, literally no one says those are fine. It's like, oh yeah, I'm okay with those. Like, there was nobody in Hawaii two weeks ago when they thought a missile was coming from North Korea going, well, you know, what are you going to do? Hopefully they're not aiming for me. Everybody's worried, right? That's when your stress reaction makes sense. It's these other things, significant life changes, that we have these reactions to, because we, and we label them that way, and something that is evolutionarily there to save our lives, we're kicking into gear, and we don't have to. Um, so things like, uh, not your own death, that's not that stressful, actually, you're dead, that's not, you're fine, because you're dead. But a death of your family or friend, uh, Divorce, job loss, job gain, by the way, is another one. Marriage, getting married is as stressful as getting divorced. Moving is one of the most stressful things people go through. Even if they're happy and they're moving to, oh no, start a new job. Very stressful events. These are ones, happily, they're pretty rare. But the problems are like like people call daily hassles, if you want to use a very 70s kind of term. So things that really literally don't matter. People having a stress reaction to those, having their GAS kicked in, having their heart beat faster, having their blood going to their skeletal muscles, their pupils dilating. This is this is the biggest thing you can control. Right? Many of us have dealt with loud neighbors before. Right? It's annoying to have loud neighbors, but getting worked up to the point where you want to kill them doesn't help anybody. Right. The better approach, by the way, if you can, is to have access to the electrical panel. My wife did this once. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen. We were living in Toronto. The upstairs neighbors were being very loud. We had an apartment in a house. They were upstairs. And then she was seven months pregnant. And it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. They said, oh, just killed their power. <laughs> and the next day, apparently... The, the landlord called us and said, uh, by the way, they complained that you did that. I don't care. Do it anytime you want. <laughs> That's awesome. But all these things, right? Bad weather, we all complain about the weather. That's fine. Thing is, a stress reaction to that doesn't help you. It doesn't stop the weather. Until my weather control machine is complete, but I've said too much. I don't get upset when the Montreal Canadiens lose because it happens a lot this year. But I don't get upset about it. I want them to win. I have like, I don't know, eight Canadian sweaters. I pretend I'm playing the Montreal Canadiens in the NHL 18. One of the uh, <coughs> trophy recently. MVP of the playoffs. <laughs> Broadback, you see him skating up there. We're at number 64. That's my high football member, I think. I'm also apparently 21 years old, so that's also kind of fun. I sat there for hours trying to make his face look like me. I'm such a loser. But I don't get upset about and I don't get upset about video games. So you learn these things because then you don't. These things, you think, well, it doesn't matter, but if all these things are happening, a lot of things, especially through stupid blood tests, things like that, it can all add up. And then you're, again, something that is designed by evolution to allow you to live in a, uh, to, to, to save your life when it's under threat well you extend that energy you run you 
fights. If you're not doing that, all that ends up happening is you end up, your heart ends up exploding. Eventually. So a lot of this is about perceived control. So if you perceive you have control over something, you can be less stressed about it. Now, by the way, you can't control the weather, but then you can realize that my stress reaction doesn't fix it either, so then you have control. That's what I'm saying here, okay? It's not like saying you should have pretend you can control the weather. That's not going to help anybody. It might be fun. And it's interesting, people, and we talked about this already, about how the, the sort of self-deception we do, the self-deception actually helps us get through life and we, we, we don't have some stress reactions when we, we see ourselves, when we lie to ourselves and say, everything's going to be fine. They fare better, and when I say fare better, I mean they live longer, they have better jobs. Wow. Even though they may be less realistic. So you get less control over a situation, you have more stress hormones released, and I, I think I've made the point by now that that's not a good thing. It can lead to all these other problems. Questions about this stuff? Makes sense, right? So you want to realize that it's a system that it was been selected for. This is the disconnect between the EEA and today. The disconnect is when this was evolving, this system, and I mean, that's a long, it's well before there were humans, right? Um, this was a way to keep you alive when your life was being threatened. Okay? And rarely now is our life threatened. We are hardly ever in life or death situations. We just aren't. I bet maybe three people in this room, that'd be probably high too, have, have been in a, literally in a life or death situation. Yet we've all had the reaction of incredible stress to the point of feeling like you know your, your heart's beating fast and all that stuff. Your mouth getting dry. All right. So to get even a little bit more depressing, let's talk about coronary heart disease stress and personality. Friedman and Roseman, this is in the 1950s, found out that they were comparing men and women, and they found out that, say, the fat in their diet and the smoking, by the way, people knew those things were not good for you then, okay? That heavily uh, smoking, for example, people knew it was bad for them. But men got coronary heart disease, in other words, men got heart attacks. Women didn't, on average. And one of the things that really tipped them off was the fact that accountants got heart attacks in March and April. In other words, when taxes were due. And that men got heart attacks, not women, and men had higher stress jobs since the 1950s than women. I am not saying that being at home with your children is easy. I may watch a lot of Mad Men, but it's not like I try to pattern my life after the show. Except for the great people. It's a joke. I don't drink that much. Like I said, accountants were fine until April. So they came up with this idea of people that had what they call a type A personality. And these people are driven very time dependent and the poster boy for type A personality is the man in the middle my father there's my younger brother Dan me this is about it's probably 2006 dad died in 2008 so my dad had a heart attack when he was 52 my dad was so type A that he drove himself to the hospital after his heart attack he didn't call for an ambulance. He drove himself to the hospital. By the way, what we're doing there is we're making deep fried cheesecake. <laughs> so you take cheesecake and you fill it and you wrap it in a tortilla and you deep fry it. Then you put powdered sugar on it. 
apparently while you're drinking gin. <laughs> when the three of us would be together, it was usually, well, let's cook things and also drink. I wish I saw that t-shirt because it says uh, this t-shirt contains uh, mature themes uh, and swearing or something like that in adult language. Your discretion is advised. So the question is, someone like my father who had a heart attack at the same age as me, 52, right? Why do people like him, why would they get more heart disease? My dad was very driven. My dad was exceedingly... He was into deadlines. I will get this done now. They don't sleep that well. They smoke more. My dad smoked for from the time he was fifteen to well until he had the heart attack. He claimed he had quit. He claimed that he quit when he was what forty. At one point, my, my mom actually said, so how much you smoke? Like, after he said, oh, I've quit for 10 years. He's like, oh, I've got a couple, couple, couple there. <laughs> What's he going to do, lie? And people started smoking when they were 14 in, you know, because dad would have been 14 in 1957. 14-year-old smoked then. I said the other day in, in neuropharmacology that my dad started smoking when he was 14. It was, he sat down at breakfast and just lit up a cigarette. And his mom said... Richard, you should smoke. It'll stunt your growth. And my dad said, I'm six foot one and I'm 14. <laughs> she said, well, okay. <laughs> she bought him a lighter. So, <laughs> you know, it's a different time. They quote, as my mother would say, fly off the handle. You fly off the handle. You go off the deep end. My mom doesn't sound anything like that, but that's my impression of my mom. It's an impression, not an impersonation. So, and this was something that was easily seen in my dad. In other words, his GAS would kick in at the smallest thing. My dad would have a stress reaction. I watched him, the number of things, the stories I could tell. Uh, but I, I, we, were, we were doing a thing. I used to work with my father, and he had a company that was made... Um, flight cases, doesn't matter. But we use these rivets, rivet guns, and the rivet, little teeth in the rivet are, gun are literally a couple of millimeters apart, and he, he kept getting misaligned. He took them out and realigned them, and then he just threw them across the shop, screaming, I don't know why I'm at doing this. Like, even knowing it was stupid, because we'll never find them. My dad put his fist through a coffee table that was a, had a, a half-inch thick piece of wood, because Montreal won a hockey game. <laughs> I woke up and I said, Mommy, what happened to the coffee table? Mom says, Come away, I scored in overtime. Oh, okay. So, the smallest thing would make his GAS hit. Right. He's exceedingly competitive. We were never any fun to play Monopoly with. My mother, on the other hand, was just like playing Monopoly, but it's like if, if Monopoly was being played by Karl Marx. Oh, everybody have some money. Mom, that's not the game. The game is not called Socialist Paradise. The game's called Monopoly. The idea is that I'm going to drive you into the ground and take all your money. Well, that's just me. <laughs> And Dad and I would be laughing, destroying people's monopoly lives. But he would take it seriously. So basically just anger. Generally anger. Okay. And when you're always angry, you're going to have more of your GAS kicking in. And again, it made sense for this thing to kick in, and it still makes sense when it's the same as the time. Now, the immune system, I don't worry too much about how it works. We have B cells that fight bacteria, T cells fight viruses and cancer. But stress suppresses the immune system because your resources get redirected to your GAS. Because, you know, if you're having a tummy ache, 
but you're about to die because someone's coming at you with a knife, probably should just run away and not worry about the tummy ache. Right? It's, it makes complete evolutionary sense. The problem is, again, people that have this... When this kicks in for no reason, or for not a very good reason... going to be more sick. Okay. Now you got to remember that you can't just quote healthy. Like you can't just say, "Well, I'm not stressed. I've learned not to be stressed, but I do share needles with other people." And uh, have a lot of unprotected sex sex with prostitutes. I also uh, I eat nothing. Well, I really just eat handfuls of butter, and uh, I smoke thirty-eight packs of cigarettes a day. But I'm not stressed. Am I okay, dog? Yeah, as you watch that, I die literally in front of you. I'm also an optimist. Uh, So, you know, what you eat, it's going to matter, too. So health psychologists, as I mentioned, are interested in things like why people go to the doctor. So the biggest thing here, though, about all these things, the thing, one of the things we can control, we can control our diet, which we'll talk about in a second, but the bigger thing is your reaction to stress. How do you deal with it? Now, one of the problems I have with, by the way, the term stress, by the way, and I don't, I don't like it, because whenever somebody doesn't know what's causing something, they say, what's stress? I even find, I think, I think MDs do that. What's wrong? Uh, well, doc, this happened, this happened. Oh, it's just stress. Can't always be stress. Um, one of the key things you can do is aerobic exercise, right? You can exercise. Because that allows you not to get to the exhausted phase. So it's a two-pronged thing. You don't get... You don't treat everything like a saber-toothed tiger. And you move around a lot. Think about this. Our ancestors 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, could not leave sedentary lifestyles. They weren't just sitting around all day. Right? So you didn't have people on the savannah of Africa around a fire going, oh, I'm just going to hang out here and read Twitter. They just got comfortable. Well, I was comfortable with standing, however, because my knees hurt. You'll get girls. No, you won't. Loser. <laughs> Just get a wrecked knee. Get a wrecked knee. Surprised you couldn't hear all the. So it's going to help you stay in the resistance phase of the JS. That said, the idea that they only did aerobic exercise may not be true. Because if you look at hunter-gatherer societies today, which are pretty hard to find, but there are some still, um, they walk not a whole lot more than we do. 10,000 steps kind of thing. And a lot of what they do is is really... um, about strength. So there still is a lot of sort of anaerobic exercise as well. So it's not quite as clear as it's been made out to be in the last few years. So the key about all this though is less exhaustion. Okay. Now one of the things that happens a lot is that we worry about the food we eat and you should. And of course, as you know, you can't really. It's hard to change your body weight set point. That's not something that's easy to do. I found the easiest way, of course, was to, to lose a lot of weight, was to get exceedingly sick. The flu, really, I lost 15 pounds. It's all back, though. Well, not all of it. Lots of it's back. Because right? once you're finished with the flu, it's like, I have never eaten food before. It's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I will now enjoy food again. Corey. Professor, what's um, the set point? Well, it's 
The, the notion is that, you're bought, that everybody has a point at which their, 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 their weight very good. Okay? So, for you, it's probably like 165 or something. Man, I don't know what kilo. I can't keep weights in kilos. You know, so if you eat a lot or not very much over short periods of time, your body pretty much stays there. Changing that down to, let's say if you weigh 450, and trying to get that down to 200 is really, really, really hard to do. So you've got to do that both through a combination of exercise and stopping from eating just handfuls of butter. It's a hard thing to change that. And there's data that show this, uh, not just in people, in, in other animals and rats, things like that. It can be done, but it's very difficult. The, I mean, and for some people, it's so hard that they end up having... I've got a, a, a buddy who recently got the, I guess last year, had the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, surgery there. The gastric bypass. Gastric bypass, yeah. He's, his stomach is this big. Eggs. Yeah. But, you know, he weighed many hundreds of pounds. It was like, I think he finally realized, gee, I kind of like being alive. And one day I'm going to die very soon from all of this. So he's, he's lost a great deal of weight. But that's one way to do it. He can't take in any more food. So his body gets used to weighing a whole lot less. Yeah, but at the same time with the gastric bypass, you still have to change your diet as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, obviously, at the very beginning, the only thing you're eating is sleepies. It's a bit slime, right? Hey, uh, yeah, please. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, finish, finish. Uh, obviously, certain people have intolerance to certain things. Uh, lactose is one of them. Sure, it's a good example. Gluten now is one of the more famous ones. Yeah, well, that's not really mostly true. Well, but there are people, that, uh, people with celiac disease, like my niece. That's real. People that go, gluten's just so horrible. No, well, I have meant celiac. That's like, different. Something yes. serious. Yes, that's serious. Um, it is serious. Too. Yeah. Would that not cause a stress response in your body? Essentially, because you're taking in something that you cannot process. Well, you get sick. It would cause inflammation. Would it yeah, you, may, you mostly get sick is what happens. Like, I know with celiacs, um, there's a lot of puking involved. Like, I know, for example, like my, my, my niece, she used to, like... Go out to a bar, have a beer, and come home and be thrown up. And it wasn't because she was all drank too much; it's because there's gluten in the beer. Yeah. Um, when, when they finally, the same thing happens with another friend, uh, Allison, and she's got two well. And like, she gets all sort of almost like an allergic reaction, and you then vomits. Right. Same thing with like if you look at um, lactose intolerance. And la- lactose is interesting. The ability to, to uh, process milk past being a toddler is, a, is probably the, when people say, are humans still evolving? It's a great example because it probably showed up only about 5,000 years ago, that gene. And most of us in this room aren't lactose intolerant. Most of us can process milk. Um, and this is because this, the idea was we start having these dairy cows because already, well, cows yet, oryx, or whatever, and we have this source of milk, and we can't ingest it or we get sick. So what ends up happening is there's a mutation that allows you to make lactase, the, uh, the, enzyme. the enzyme, to uh, to metabolize lactose, um, past like being three years old, and that's clearly going to be advantageous. So it spread pretty damn quickly, pretty damn quickly, but it didn't spread as quickly, it's, 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 there are some populations where it's much less common. A lot of uh, Asian populations where you don't see where you see lactose intolerance that happens the way it used to happen to all humans. First place it showed up probably was among the Maasai people in Africa, but then it would have, the mutation also shows up other places. Yeah. Well, cows probably weren't copied in Africa. Oh no, that's not true. Yeah, orcs. There were no cows, right? Humans invented cows. They had these things called orcs that are like. Cows. But I mean the, the milk from that versus the milk from a cow. Yeah. It's different. That's what I'm trying to say. Like Yeah, but um it's basically the same thing. Fair enough. But there were truly there were cows in Africa. Yeah. There were oryx. But in, in that in an oryx, not a cow. Yeah, but there were no but it's pretty close to me. We bred oryx to become cows. Humans did that over a couple of thousand years. Not on purpose. Well, on purpose we were trying to make we eventually we'll get cows. 
We were just crossbreeding ones that were nice with each other and gave a lot of milk and gave a lot of meat and were stupid and docile. Right? Because you want something, it's not going to be a problem when you, when you leave it off the kill. So you can eat it. Also, so you can just take all its milk. But they come from ours. And humans invented cows a few, a couple different times. Europeans invented them, uh, Asians invented them, and Africans invented them. African fibers. But these modifications would cause, it would cause changes, wouldn't they? Uh, to, to which? Modifications to which causing changes. Like you said that they modified the oryx. Yeah. Cow. That's what I'm... That's yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah. But what they're doing is they're selecting, they're doing artificial selection, and they end up all with the same species. Everybody ends up with a cow. Yeah, it's like what happened with dogs and wolves. It's exactly a good example. Yeah, exactly. Um, or what we did with what the native people in North America did and South America did with corn. Right? Because corn used to be about that big. The ears of corn had like three little kernels on it. No one wants to eat that. But they figured out, you know, if we cross this, oh, look, this weirdwood has five. Let's get more of those. And now we have corn. So, you know, dieting alone is less effective diet than exercise. Uh, I know you know this, but I just like saying it because I hear people saying, you've got to burn off your fat, man, and turn it into muscle. That's just stupid. Okay. The question is the paleo diet. So that's what I'm leading. The idea of, is there a paleolithic prescription? If we have been selected for living like we're in the EEA, and yes, we were, should we be eating like we're in the EEA? That sounds great, doesn't it? It's, it follows. It seems to make a great deal of sense. By the way, how do you know someone's on the paleo diet? Oh, they'll tell you. Um, <laughs> the problem is we don't know what people generally. We, we can know what certain people For some people, it was nothing but vegetables and fruits. Because that's what was around. Not a whole lot of big game animals. For others, it was all meat. You think of even today, Inuit people living a traditional lifestyle in northern North America, northern Greenland, northern Siberia, way up... Um, there are not a lot of green leafy vegetables on the Arctic buffet. Right? What's available? Uh, let's see. We could have walrus or seal or whale. Maybe caribou. And, and for a couple of months in the summer, maybe there's some berries. So part of the problem with trying to determine what Paleolithic humans ate, what our ancestors ate, is that they ate what was around. We're really good, and we are to this day, at living pretty much anywhere and eating pretty much anything. We're omnivores, right? We're omnivores. We've hunted things to extinction. Way to go, humans. There aren't any more mammoths. There aren't any more mastodons. You know why? We ate them all. But there will be soon when they take that mammoth DNA. That's going to be awesome. Somebody's going to do that. I hope it's in my lifetime. That's all I'm going to say. Just to see it. I mean, it's probably going to be an ecological disaster. But I want to see it. I don't know where it's going to live, is what I'm saying. Have you seen Jurassic Park? Well, yeah, it's not going to be. Of course I've seen Jurassic Park. You ever seen Star Wars? Yeah, of course I've seen Jurassic Park. <laughs> but see, the thing is, with a mammoth, that's only 10,000 years ago. Right? Um, you can still find mammoth. Literally, it is possible to this day to find in a frozen mammoth that isn't, like, that there's still meat you can eat. They've fallen into crevasses, like in, in Siberia, and there's no one living there, really. And eventually, you can just find this, uh, and people have eaten it and said it's not that good. Yeah. There's actually a they did a show if you watch like Expedition Unknown. Oh yeah. And they actually he's like went to Japan and they were doing like filming and all this and like yeah. 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 They want to take they want to take the DNA from a mammoth. Yeah. 
and then put it in an elephant egg, and then and then put the egg, the fertilized eggs, in an elephant, and then she carries it to term, and then we have a marriage. Which would be great. Except, like I said, where do we make, where do we where do they live? Like you can't just put them in. Where are you gonna put them? Over here. Like <laughs> they wouldn't survive very like up north. Oh, up north. Though they're designed for that. They're yellow light. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is, is are all is are all the plants they used to eat there? Right. So where do we put them? Yeah, I mean, it's cool until we got to find a place to put them. It's kind of like when you, when you buy somebody a puppy for Christmas. It seems like a great idea at the time, and they go, but I don't like dogs. I have to the box. Right? Either you guys are having your own joke there, or you thought that was pretty funny. I didn't think it was that funny, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, this is the question. Is it all vegetables, all meat? I will say that I have friends who are way into this. At levels that are fascinating, and most they both the two guys I know that are way 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 into this. Um, one is the founder of the Ancestral Health Society, and that's a that's a pretty big. So he's looking at health and psychology, and how we can look at our evolutionary history to make decisions like that. And another's a, a, just another guy I know. Um, they both eat a lot of meat, but they also both eat a lot of vegetables. They both drink a lot of coffee, too. I've said to them, did our ancestors drink coffee? And they say, yeah, well, it's still from a bean. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. One guy's way more into it than the other, I'd say. So, what was the, the, the first origin of the of coffee? Uh, this is an apocryphal story uh, of an uh, Arab uh, sheep herder seeing one of his sheep eating a coffee bean and getting all freaked out because of the caffeine, and then him going, well, there's probably something good in that. We don't know. It's, we know it's from um, the Fertile Crescent region, right? The Horn of Africa slash uh, uh, Red Sea uh, and then you've got the Straits of Hormuz, and you know, sort of around Iraq, Iran, and then it ends up in Africa and ends up in North America. I'm sorry, in South America because of the Spanish putting it there. The beans taste pretty good on their own. Oh, they do, yeah, yeah. Plus the caffeine. So, I used to eat them. Oh yeah, me too. As a kid, I mean, I remember going grocery shopping with my mom, and I loved them to get to the coffee grinder part because I like, just take a couple and eat them. Because I was an odd little boy, apparently, so was Corey. Um, <laughs> so this is the thing. It's not about vegetable and meat. One of my buddies won't eat wheat. Because he says modern wheat didn't exist in the times of the, you know, 15,000 years ago, there was no wheat. We weren't making bread, so I don't eat any bread. Fine, I'll leave more for me. I, I you know... The biggest thing is probably caloric density of the food we were eating. In fact, certainly the one thing we can say is that we had no powdered sugar. There was no white sugar. There was no wheat. Wheat. A tremendous amount of wheat. So sometimes put processed. I don't like the term processed, really, because all food is somehow processed. It's a, it's a meaningless term, really. But I think we all know what I'm talking about here. Like, it's like, it's... It's not like, I really don't like a lot of these terms. Right? So you would get honey instead of sugar, white sugar. And frankly, honey is just sugar and beef on it. And a little bit and some beef parts. There's nothing special about honey. I only eat the coffee nectar. Good, good, good. You want to spend eighteen dollars for sugar? You have fun. Must be nice having that kind of disposable income. If I, for me, if I'm going to spend that kind of money, I'm going to start buying vodka. Um, so the thing is, we like eating fat and we like eating sugar, and there's a good reason for that. We eat those things to survive. Yes. Okay. And in the EEA, sugar was exceedingly rare. We got sugar from. In high concentrations. Where do we get honey and fruit? And to the lesser extent, 
Okay. So if we're getting it from, mostly from fruit, we're not getting it in the quantities we can get it today. So you can't, you could, didn't used to be able to get, in fact, before World War II, even up till then, you couldn't, it was hard to find refined white sugar. It was a rare thing. And now it's like, you can just buy a pound of sugar. If you could go back in time and you want to be, you know, go back to the EEA and you want to be the leader of a certain group, just bring back some sugar with you. Here, try, look, look what I brought. Try some of that. And then pull out your phone and make it. It glows. I am magic. I am now your god. But then it runs out of battery and you're screwed. And then you have no sugar. And then you're caught 100,000 years ago. So don't do that. What the hell am I even talking about? Um, we also couldn't get fat in the kind of quantities we can get today. Right? Today, however, you can put the two together and make nature's perfect food, icing. Right? Just fat and sugar. Think about what, think about what icing is. Like, well, take some butter, add some sugar, oh, and some eggs. That would be good. Let's beat the hell out of this and then just eat it. Delicious. Or ice cream, which is the same thing. So it's about the density of the food probably more than anything, the caloric density of it. So I don't worry so much about the whole quote, paleo thing. I don't tend to eat a whole lot of quote, processed foods, and I hate this process. Like I said, everything's processed at some level. Questions about that stuff? Any thoughts about this? Right? Is anybody into that? That whole paleo scene? If you are, that's cool. Because I don't think it's bad, right? I mean, I'd probably pretty much eat that way anyway because I eat a lot of meat. Except I do eat flour. Like, not just handfuls of flour. That'd be awful. <laughs> right. If I don't have time to make a cake, I just eat some flour, crack a couple eggs in my stuff, my, eat them, eat some butter, some sugar, and then my, I get gut cake. It's a whole different thing. That's a, that's a tip for you right there. Make your own gut cake. Also, if you don't have time for bacon... You just eat some pork and swallow an ashtray for the smoky effect, and you got instant gut bacon. These are the kind of tips I can give out. Follow my productivity account, my, my life hacking account, the productivityist, and you'll see all about that on Twitter. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have like 10 Twitter accounts. I have one that's called Fuck Off Friday, where on Friday I just tell some people to fuck off. <laughs> What else? Your phone's about to blow up. Hold on. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's productivityist is one of them. I, I forget. F off Friday. Uh, there's a couple others that aren't going to make any sense to you. Uh, there's one about fake Montreal Canadiens fans. It's a, called irate Habs fans, and I just complain about everything the Montreal Canadiens do, but like ridiculously. Uh, I've also run the, the Twitter account of the Comparative Cognition Society, the Algoma University Psychology Department. Ah, it's about ten of them. Because I'm an idiot. And then there's my own one, of course. Yeah, I just got followed. I just felt it. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things that you hear people say is that maybe we should accept who, maybe accept who you are. I like the idea of that. The advantages of accepting, let's say, if you're a little overweight, as well, less stress, of course. The disadvantage is you're still overweight, right? So I think back to my friend and like. I think he pretty much accepted who he was. In fact, I know he accepted who he was. He would joke about it. I remember once saying, I am not a svelte man. And I thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Coming from a guy who weighed like 600 pounds, that's funny. But he also realized he was, even if he could accept who he was, which he did, he was still overweight. It was dangerous, to the point of being dangerous. I think a lot of the publicity, this is nothing, this has nothing to do with evolution whatsoever, but just a chance for me to editorialize a little bit. I think a lot of the publicity about being healthy, quote, is really done good. Right? I think a lot of the stuff about telling people 
how to live their lives is not being done well. I think telling people it would be dangerous for this or that or the other, but I think this whole like almost viewing people as being less of a person because they weigh a little bit more than other people really bugs the hell out of me. So that's just me. So I'm not going to say too much more about that. I didn't even know you had the first. The Twitter. I have all of the social media. Yeah. You follow me on Twitter? I don't know. I feel like I kind of panicked and I didn't do it, but I. I'll I panicked that I didn't you. do it. Mostly, again, that's just me swearing. That's what Twitter is. <laughs> Mostly. I'll follow your main account too. Don't worry. Okay. All right. So conclusion about the stuff. Stress is good to keep you alive, and that's what it was the evolutionarily uh, selected for. That's a good thing. It's bad in that. We recognize things today that are not stressors as stressors. And unlike every other animal, we don't live in something similar to where we evolved. We have changed a great deal. We have changed our environment a great deal. A lot of this whole thing is about that your mom was right about almost everything. Oh, just calm down. Oh, don't eat so much. Oh, you are going to start smoking, did you? Like, your mom is right with everything. That's what really the, the take-home message of this is. Your mom knows stuff. Even when it feels like she doesn't. Any questions? I think I'm a bit early. That's okay. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. 
sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.